The superpower of thanksgiving. Part two. Gratitude and thanksgiving are the theme. Some fantastic words. We talked about them at length last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to jump onto weareelevation.com and listen to the message, part one. I'm not going to review much of it other than these two words and the profound nature of them and how they get us right into a great posture of our hearts with God. The word gratitude is derived from a Latin word, gratia, which means grace. We've been talking a lot about grace this morning already, and I don't think that's a coincidence because that's going to be the meditation of our time. The word gratitude, gratia, or excuse me, the word gratitude has gratia embedded right in it. Grace is embedded right in that word, and that's very significant. We'll get there in a moment. There's another word in the Greek, in the Bible, for gratitude and thanksgiving. They're synonymous. Anytime you read in the Bible, in the New Testament, you see gratitude or thanksgiving or give thanks. It's the word eucharistio, which... Interestingly and importantly, also has the word grace embedded right in the middle of it. The word charis is grace. So you carry stow. And, and what's so profound about that is that whether you go into the Latin or you go into the Greek, this, the idea of grace is literally embedded in the word gratitude and thanksgiving. And that's because the whole point of gratitude and thanksgiving is when you actually recognize that your life is, is founded upon grace. That everything good in life that you have is a gift from God. That's James chapter 1. Every good gift in life came down from your Father of heavenly lights as a good gift. That's what grace is undeserved goodness, God giving us gifts freely for you, and it cost him everything. And right in the middle of gratitude and thanksgiving is that idea. The reason we give thanks, the reason we have gratitude is because of grace. It's the fundamental posture of a Christian that we live by grace. We've been saved by grace, we live and move and have our being by his undeserved goodness. And it's just, it's, it's so profound because it's an entirely different way of living than we're taught. We're taught to live based on what we deserve and what we've earned and don't get me wrong, there is absolutely collaborating with God all throughout the Bible. Our obedience matters, our stewardship with him, our partnership with him. But none of that stuff is ever to earn grace. It's the proper response to grace. But the fundamental posture of the entire Bible 
and even more clearly in the New Testament is salvation by grace, that we are sinners fallen and saved then by grace. And I want to take us to a a case study this morning of the Apostle Paul, who shows us what this can look like in unbelievable circumstances. He is going to model for us what we landed on last week, which is that gratitude is actually, on our part, a choice and a spiritual discipline. We can choose what we want to focus on. We looked at Numbers 13 and 14 and how, unfortunately, the people of Israel focused on the things they didn't have and the problems they had, and they focused so long it became a toxic grumbling, and they lost sight of the grace of God that was all around them in their past, in their present, and the promises that were coming their way. They lost it all because they chose to focus too long on the hard things and the challenges and what had not yet come to pass. And so there is absolutely a choice of what we focus on in our life. There will always be hard things, but we do have a choice of what to focus on, where to allow our minds to dwell. That's where we finished last week in Philippians 4, 8, where the call is, let your mind dwell, live on the good things that God has done, is doing, and promises to do. It will change your life. Gratitude, therefore, is a spiritual discipline. It's a practice. It's a spiritual discipline that renews our mind so that we're living from an awareness of God's grace that is all around us. God's grace is all around us. But we can lose awareness of it, especially if we go down the road of complaining and grumbling about the problems for too long. Be aware of them, and yes, then with God's grace, attack them. We're not trying to sweep anything under the rug. But gratitude is that spiritual discipline that puts front and center As we practice thanksgiving and practice gratitude, it puts front and center that everything good in life is because of his grace. I live and move and have my being, past, present, and future, because of his grace. And so, Paul is a real-life case study in that, that to me is remarkable. I love looking at the heroes of the Bible as real people just like you and me, meaning if they can do it, we can do it. They are not meant to be mythical figures that we just like, oh my goodness, they do things. They're not like real humans. They don't have like the same challenges we do. Oh yeah, they lived in victory and that, but oh man, if you knew my life, it's so much harder. That is not how we're meant to read the Bible. The heroes are us in all their strengths and weaknesses and all their potentialities and their failures and all their victories and defeats. And so Paul is a real person. And he says some things that are, in some sense, unbelievable almost. It's like, come on, man, you really say that right now? They're remarkable, though. And they are meant to be attractive to say, not like, oh, well, he's like this hero that I can't be. It's meant to pull us forward and say, when you get to know God better, you can live like this too. You can be this powerful. And we don't just discard it. It's like, oh, well, that was for him. He's in the Bible. No, it's meant to be good news that says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If Jesus can do it in that guy's life, 
and he was like a terrorist for real, then he can do it in my life. And it's meant to be good news that it encourages us. So let's look at Paul for a little bit here and his case study, a case study in gratitude and how living aware of the grace of God that is all around him. And that is for us as well. So 1 Thessalonians 5.18 is an astounding verse. He says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do you ever wonder what God's will for you is in every circumstance? This verse answers, well, you know, at least one thing, he wants you to be grumbling and complaining about how hard you got it. Join the rest of the world. One thing is clear right here. Now, the will of God is vast and big and awesome, and he might be doing multiple things in circumstances, in every circumstance. But one thing, this verse says, is always clear. God's will for you as a follower of Jesus is that in every circumstance, you would give thanks. That is an astounding statement. Now, one thing that helps a bit is that Paul does not say, give thanks for every circumstance. That would be entirely different. Because evil things happen. Bad things happen. Jesus said, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So when Satan brings destruction in your life, and it's evil, it's pure evil, you don't thank God for that like God did that. Jesus makes a contrast and says, but I have come that I may bring the abundant life. That's God's will. Satan has a will to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus is not his friend. Jesus is in contrast to that, saying God's will through me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, is to bring you into the abundant life, more of the kingdom of heaven. So we have to be real careful. This does not say you thank God for all circumstances. There are some twisted things in the church. It's like, oh, God's beating me, and I thank him for it. Don't thank God for evil as if it's a gift from him. Don't thank God for the work of Satan. But can you be powerful enough that in the midst of any circumstance, you can give thanks? Why? Okay, here it is. If you're not giving thanks for it, you're giving thanks in it. What does that mean? It means that you can be so deeply attached to the reality of the grace of God that literally no matter what is happening outside, you have gratitude to give because the grace of God is so real to you that you can feel God's grace, his goodness, his, the good gifts he's given you in the past, in the present, and what he's promised you in the future, that is so real to you that you can have gratitude to God in any moment. That's a powerful person. Do you see the difference, though? He's not saying give thanks for every circumstance. He's saying God's will is that you would become so 
enraptured by the grace of God, that God's goodness, his power, his mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness, his provision, his promises would become so real, so powerful that literally no matter what bad things are happening because of this broken and fallen world, you have this stuff in here and up there and the reality of God's kingdom is even bigger than that. It's even more real in a way so that you can truly, genuinely give thanks to God for who he is no matter what trash comes at you from the fallen world. I want to be that guy, right? That doesn't get beat up, tossed to and fro by the broken, fallen, evil world to where my emotions are dictated by everything happening outside me and around me. And I only have good days when things go the way I want them to go. That's weakness. That is all the world has to offer. You're grateful when everything goes your way. And if it doesn't, we're complaining quick. Oh my God, I waited, waited four, four minutes in line for a Starbucks. That's what we're taught. That's not pretty. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. But I mean, literally, our culture is instant gratification or justified complaining. And that's even on the little stuff. Don't even talk about, you know, very painful, real hardships that come our way. And this is where it's like, it's, this is unbelievably profound. In this little verse, the Bible is calling us, God's will is that we can live in such a higher place than that. We can be so much more powerful than the circumstances around us. And it's not saying enjoy the circumstances. Paul wasn't look like, oh, I am so enjoying getting flogged right now. Woohoo! No, it's not what it's saying. But it, it is, this is absolutely a call to saying there is a relationship with God. There's a depth of communion with the spiritual reality of who Jesus is, both in your past, in your present, and in your future, that can do something miraculous in your soul, where it's so real, you literally have reasons to give thanks in any circumstance. But that's part of the discipline. I mean, I was talking... Last night, 11.30, as my son called and was talking through different challenges. And it's just, we're trying to teach him, like, let it be a reflex. Yeah, that's tough, and address it as you need to. But remember, look for the good. Look for the positive. What can you be grateful for? Step back. Get perspective. What has God done in the past year for you? What is he doing right now? What are the promises of the future? And get in that place of gratitude. Because if you let the circumstances weigh on you, you go down a road of bitterness and complaining. And it costs the Israelites the promised land. And so it's not that you don't address the real hard things in life. It's just don't stay there and get into grumbling and complaining. You've got to develop as a spiritual discipline the reflex of, wait a second, I deserve hell, but I'm getting heaven. There's always things to be thankful for. And, and it's, it's a reflex. It's a spiritual reflex. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. If you claim Christ Jesus as your Savior, you always have major things to be grateful for. First and foremost, your salvation, and that's probably enough. Let's get into Paul's testimony, and really that's kind of where we're going to go. So he made this declaration in 
One of his earliest letters, A.D. 50, probably, wrote to the Thessalonians. He had been in ministry over 10 years. But maybe someone is like, oh, you know, Paul was, Paul was probably a little bit uh, optimistically naive. You know, it's his first letter, first letter that we know of, at least, and, or one of the first. And so he's just really excited. But man, just wait for the next 10 years when he goes through all these, you know, shipwrecks and, and beatings and rejections and persecutions and hardships and insults and arrested and all that stuff. And is he still, you know, beating that same drum? Is he still singing that same tune about gratitude? Yes. Colossians 3.17, let's move forward 10 years. <laughs> and Paul has physically, literally, emotionally been through hell on earth. And he's singing the same tune. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there it is. It's through Jesus. It's because of Jesus, because of his grace. And we're so overwhelmed at his grace, undeserved goodness, that it has become a way of life now. Look what Paul says. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. So whatever you do, as you're doing it, you're giving thanks to God. Gratitude and doing stuff, are parallel tracks. As you do stuff, whatever you do, you're giving thanks. I mean, it's like gratitude, thanksgiving are always on your lips. That's what Paul's saying. It's very similar to in every circumstance. Now he's just saying in everything in life, whatever you're doing, word or deed, gratitude is right there with you. It's not isolated to a time of singing on Sunday. It's not isolated to a little time alone with God in your journal. It's whatever you do all day long, at work, at home, at play, whatever it may be, word or deed, gratitude is going right along with just doing. How is that possible? This is how wrapped up in grace we're meant to be. How wrapped up in this undeserved goodness of God. It's supposed to be so fundamental, so foundational, so good. We never get over it. Let's just ask you, does he write this from a place of everything going great? That's what the world's going to teach you. It's going to model for you. We're, we're, we're all sucked into it. We've all done it at times where we, we allow the circumstances to define our reality, dictate our emotions, and the Bible says, don't. Stop it. Don't do that. There's something better. It's called grace. So Paul wrote this not from any nice, beautiful location of ease and comfort. He wrote this from prison. And it, if you read the book of Acts, you can see how he ended up in prison. And you can clearly say it is an injustice. All he's doing is preaching about Jesus. And he offends people. He offends a mob to the point that they attack him and try to cancel him through stoning him and beating him. And the, then the Roman authorities look at that and they're just bothered by, you know, problems happening in Jerusalem. So they arrest him, put him in prison, 
give him no due process, no, no fair trial. And he sits in prison for four years for standing up in a crowd of his brothers and sisters, Jewish people, and saying, I got great news, the Messiah has come. And that boldness cost him four years of an unjust prison sentence. He has every reason in the world to be bitter. And yet in that prison, he writes, in everything you do, word or deed, just be giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ because you're swimming in grace. I call that credibility. You can have four years of your life robbed and you can put in, you know, some of our modern day lingo in that he had no freedom of religion, he had no freedom of speech, he had no constitutional rights, he had no due process, he had no just judge. What would it take for you to stop giving thanks? How much could you go through? How much could I go through and not be able to give thanks? Paul is literally going through four years of being unjustly put in prison. And in the middle of it, and, and with no real timetable, he writes this about two years in. So he, he really doesn't know what his future holds. There was no four years and you're out. It was, it was an indefinite detainment without cause. And two years into it, he says, oh, man, Jesus is so good. His grace is so powerful. Whatever you do, be given thanks. It's like, oh, come on, bro. How do you do that? Thankfully, he gives us an answer in Colossians 2. He takes us back to the basics. He takes us to the fundamentals in chapter 2, that same book where he just said, in everything you do, give thanks. That's what I'm doing right here from prison. Colossians 2, 6 to 7, he gives us a, a little window into how does he fight to give thanks in all circumstances? Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and therefore overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing. Have an abundance. That's the same exact word, by the way, of Jesus in John 10, 10, where he says, I have come that you may have life to its fullest, in abundance, overflowing. It will be extraordinary. It will be shocking what I can do with you. Jesus is saying. And Paul is saying, you can overflow in abundance of gratitude and thanksgiving. How? Just stick to the fundamentals. What are the basics of the gospel? What is your life built upon? Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, that is the basic response to the gospel is, yes, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Paul says, just continue living on that. It's not really complicated. Be rooted in that. Get strengthened in that, and watch out. You might just overflow with gratitude. 
Because what gets more and more real is grace. The undeserved goodness of God coming your way through Christ Jesus. He calls us to live from the fundamentals. We never get over the fundamentals of the grace of Jesus Christ. We always come back to it. And that is why Jesus installed the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Regularly, as an act of worship, come back to the basics because you never get over the basics. In fact, the basics, they will get more deep and more profound. They are an inexhaustible well, eternal well of living water that the more you sink your roots deep and down into the more overflowing you will be with gratitude and every other good thing. And shockingly, Jesus models for us in the Lord's Supper the giving of thanks in all circumstances. That's why in many Christian Christian traditions, the Lord's Supper is called the Eucharist, the Greek word for thanksgiving. The Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. We go back to the Lord's Supper with thanksgiving. We receive it with thanksgiving. Remember what thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving is the recognition of the charis of God, the grace of God that is embedded in everything in our life. And when we relive that, when we remember that, Jesus said, and by the Holy Spirit go deeper into those roots of that you will be empowered to overflow. Jesus said at the Last Supper these incredible words. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and his apostles with him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when, watch this, When he had given thanks, when he had Eucharistoed, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread. When he had Eucharistoed, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What is this? Give thanks for what God has done. Do this in remembrance of me. It's the Eucharist. I mean, have you ever noticed that before? Stop to think what it says. When Jesus was eating the Last Supper, about to go to the cross and take on sin and hell and death on our behalf, he breaks the bread and says, this is my body for you, and he pours out the wine, and he says, this is my blood spilled out for you. And what does he do right before that? He gives thanks So imagine yourself at the table, and Jesus gives thanks. I wish it said what he gave thanks for. They're all sitting around. It's real serious. He's already talked to them about a lot of stuff. Before he breaks the bread, they hear him praying out loud, and he's giving thanks. Thank you, God, for... Thank you, God, for the victory that I'm about to achieve for my sheep. 
He's so connected to Jesus, even though it is his darkest hour, and there is a pain and a sorrow, even unto death in his soul, that he describes. He knows the hell of the cross and the torturing and the separation from the presence of God for the first time in all eternity is coming, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is going to suffer like no one has suffered. And in that moment, he starts by giving thanks. Because at the same time of this momentary affliction, he is so connected to the weight of glory. He is so, through gratitude, the conduit of connection to God's goodness, his promises, to God's people, both past, present, and future, God's promises to Jesus. What does it say? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What's the joy? That he would purchase and redeem a people to be with him for all eternity. And so he has those promises of God, what you could call in that moment the grace of God. He, he, he has a conduit to that. It connects him. Gratitude is connecting him to that reality of God's goodness, and therefore he is able to give thanks in the face of the cross. And he breaks the bread, and he pours out the wine, and he gives thanks, and he gives thanks, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Break the bread, take the wine, and give thanks. It's the Eucharist. The fundamental, the fundamentals of grace. Remember it. That's the same exact thing Paul does with the Colossians. You want to overflow in gratitude? Come back to the basics of your salvation. Never get over it. We're never too good for it. We are, we are <laughs> so profoundly swimming in grace, in some ways we have no idea how deep that eternal wellspring of grace goes. It is our privilege and joy and adventure to discover in greater measure how deep, how wide. The love of God is in Christ. And so in some ways, it's so simple. It's come back to the fundamentals of the grace of God in Jesus Christ over and over again. And by the power of the Spirit, making it more real, we can then be a people that abound in thanksgiving in all circumstances. And so we're going to put that into practice right now. We're going to pass out the, the elements here. I encourage you to take one and pass it. So I want to encourage us right now and, in a way, probably challenge us to just take a couple minutes of quiet just between you and the Lord and before we take the elements together as the declaration of His grace, I want to encourage us to ponder the sacrifice of Christ, everything He went through on our behalf, the basic confession of the Bible, the basic description and identity of who Jesus is in this world that we believe on and receive is that we deserve hell, but he went through it for us so that he could give the good gift of heaven. 
And I want to encourage us to ponder that reality. And at the same, at the same time, ask the Lord, bring to mind God all of the good things you have done. And may I give thanks. May I celebrate the Eucharist in this moment. May I give thanks for your grace in my life. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you, to bring to mind all the ways that he has showered you with grace from forgiveness to salvation to an identity to provision to promises. We are swimming in grace. And God's word tells us just to come back to the basics over and over again and give thanks for his grace. So let's do that right now. Holy Spirit, we ask that this would be a holy moment where you would bring to mind many of the beautiful things, powerful things, life-altering, life-changing, eternity-altering things that you have done in our lives, those gifts of grace that are personal. Pray you help us have holy remembrance right now of our lives, what our lives would look like without you, what our lives looked like before you, and how your grace was chasing us, following us, pursuing us, colliding with us to change us, to love us, to forgive us, to give us hope and a future. We pray your Holy Spirit right now, bring a holy remembrance that would usher forth gratitude for the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. Dance like day.